Go ahead and turn to uh, Matthew 25 and Acts chapter 2. Uh, I have to confess, I'm in a little bit of a weird mood. I'm not even sure why. But uh, I've, kind of been, I've kind of been silly ever since I got here today. And so uh, I'm not sure. It might be that cup of coffee I drank right before. I don't know. So this is the last week of a teaching series that we've been in called Money Matters. How many of you have enjoyed this teaching series? Give a clout, a shout, whatever. And school. I have too. I didn't start out thinking I would enjoy it because, um, you know, um, it's, it's kind of a difficult thing to talk about money in church because of the, the way that money has been represented by pastors, leaders in the body of Christ. Um, but I don't know if you guys have noticed or not, though this is a teaching series about finances and about stewardship, I don't know if you've noticed that the focus, the real focus has been on our hearts. Have you guys noticed that? It's been on our hearts. And um, a verse that we have that has really taken us through this whole series is Psalm 92, verse 13, where it says, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Translation, anyone who purposely plants themselves in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of of our God and, and, you know, we've been searching out what is it in our hearts that would keep us from truly um, giving ourselves, planting ourselves in the house of the Lord, completely trusting him with every aspect of our lives. What would keep, what would be, what is this thing that would be in our heart that would keep us from flourishing, you know? And uh, I've told you just about every week what the word flourishing means. It's, it's important for every sermon and certainly for the whole series. That word flourish means to bud. It means to sprout. It means to bloom. It means to grow. I've, I've talked about how it's a horticultural term, but how it also means to break forth or to burst open. How many of you guys have seen um, that movie, Dennis the Menace? Raise your hand. You know, with Walter Matthau. You guys know what I'm talking about? Walter Matthau plays uh, Mr. Wilson. You know, Mr. Wilson. Do you guys remember the scene where he has this flower? And it's some rare, rare species of flower that only buds once in its lifetime. And it's like on its 20th year, the 20th year that it is alive or whatever, it will, it will bloom. And it does it like by moonlight or something, okay? And so it was this rare thing. And he's been pampering this, this uh, flower for however many years. I can't remember, 20 years. We'll say it was 20 years. And... Um, and so 20 years had come, and it's the right moon, the right time, and so he has a party, and he invites all his friends over to watch this flower bloom, okay? And so if you know the movie, um, he has this party, but the same night that he has this party, he just so happens to be babysitting Dennis the Menace, which is already bad news, right? And so they're all gathered. There's a big cake on the table and refreshments, and all these people are gathered in the backyard with this <laughs> flower on a pedestal. Y'all remember? And so right about the time, you can see this flower just kind of start, kind of even shaking, you know, and of course the music in the movie gets a little more intense and, and the, it starts shaking and everybody starts leaning in, you know, looking at it, waiting. And all of a sudden, Dennis the Menace does something. I don't remember what he does, but he does something and everybody's like, what? You know, and right about that time, the flower goes, and the music's like, ah, you know, and it's this big thing and, and nobody sees it. And Mr. Wilson looks back and then it goes, and so it dies, and nobody got to see 
this flower bloom. You guys, you remember that? But did you remember how it just kind of, when it came up, it just bust, it just whoosh, bust forth. And there's that music, whoa. Are you with me? My mood's not turning you off, is it? <laughs> okay. Well, listen, that's what God wants in our lives. He wants um, us to burst forth the bloom, and not just once, okay? Not just once in our lifetime. He wants us to bloom every day. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to burst open with passion for him. He wants us to burst open with a desire to obey him. He wants us to bust at the seams with the joy of the Lord, even when times are tough, when life is full of pain. That's what he wants. In this series, we've been talking about how aligning our money matters with the word of God plays a huge part with whether or not we will flourish in our lives. Tonight, what I wanna do is I wanna look at Matthew 25. So go ahead and turn there. If you wanna put a, um, a finger or a marker at Acts 2, we'll be over there in a little bit too. But we're gonna start out in Matthew 25. While you're getting set up, getting your notes ready to take, I wanna go ahead and give you this whole sermon in one sentence. Are you ready? Write this down. Until you stand in awe of God, you will not give your all to God. Let me say that again. Until you stand in awe of God, you will not give your all to God. So Matthew 25, um, most of you probably know this, but Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 is where Jesus gives probably his longest and clearest direction teaching on end times, okay? So the primary context of what we're about to read here in chapter 25 is being prepared, okay? A readiness for when Jesus returns for his followers. But we know that Jesus is the master at having a teaching within a teaching, right? Like nobody does it. It's like Jesus, and then Paul's really good at it, you know? But nobody does it like Jesus. And so we can expect to learn something else inside of this end times teaching, okay? So look at verse 14, for it is, the kingdom of God is just like a man, your version might say a master, who goes on a journey and calls his own slaves to him and entrusts them with his possessions, entrusts his possessions to him. Before we go any further, let me give you just a quick breakdown of, of some things you gotta know. The man in this story, in this parable, the master is Jesus, okay? Jesus, who we know that ascended to the, to the Father in heaven. He, he went back to heaven, but will come again for his followers. The slaves are us, okay, who are actively waiting for Jesus to return. You'll notice in there that it's, it says that, that the slaves were entrusted with, okay? That word entrusted means to place trust in, right? Encourage, put courage in. Entrust, to put trust in. He put his, the master put his trust in the slaves. What did he entrust them with? Well, it says his possessions. And let me just tell you right now, this is gonna help get a little bit of a framework for tonight. Possessions in this parable is everything in our lives. All that we are, all that we have, belongs to God. So get that. His possessions. He entrusted his possessions with the slaves. That's everything that we are, everything that we have, everything belongs to God. He's entrusted us to live our lives to the full, to be faithful in our lives in Christ and for Christ, to be faithful with everything that he's entrusted. 
You might remember in Luke 18, verse 8, where Jesus said, okay, he's talking to his disciples and he's, he's kind of thinking ahead and he's thinking, when I return, will I find any who are full of faith or any who are faithful? When I return, will I find any who are faithful? Let me just say that one of the ways, if not the greatest way, that God tests whether or not we are trustworthy, whether or not we are faithful, is with our money. And we've talked about it for the past three weeks. It's the fourth week. But we see that clearly in Malachi chapter 3, where we get the principle of the tithe. Now, there's a lot of people that haven't been here in a while and some new people. So I'm going to break that down for you just in case. I want you to get it. Okay? The principle of the tithe goes like this. And you can see it in Malachi 3 in your own time. Give, uh, God gave you the ability to work and earn money. He commands us to give 10% back to him as a way to worship him. He allows us to live off of the other 90%. He tells us to manage, and this is an important one, he tells us to manage our money wisely so that we are always in a position to help those who are in need. And the principle tells us that if we live like this, we will be blessed. We will flourish. But if we do not live our lives this way, that he lifts his hand of protection from us and the devourer will come in and rob us blind. Now, if you want to have more of an understanding of that principle, I break it down, especially week one and week two. But that's the principle. And you guys, I cannot stress it enough. When you live like this, you will be blessed. And listen, when you live like this, you are someone who God can trust. One time in Luke chapter 16, Jesus is talking and he says, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, talking about just good old green, you know what I mean? Bread, dough, moolah, green, right? If you can't be trusted with worldly wealth, who can trust you with the true riches of heaven? This is Jesus talking. Now there's a lot of people who just won't believe and follow this principle. They're going to say this is an Old Testament law. We live in the New Testament. It's an old covenant law. We live in the new covenant. They're going to say that we're to follow our hearts in the area of giving. As God, we're going to give as God leads. And this is a really great thought. And it's very spiritual. So what, let's go down this road for just a second. Can we go down that road for just I told you I would. I told you, week one, we're going to go down this road. You ready to go down this road? Got your hiking boots on? In verse 14, what does he say? It says that he entrusted to the slaves his possessions. Again, we already said this, but everything given to the servant, servants, everything everything belonged to him. It says they were his possessions that he simply entrusted with the servants. Our time belongs to God. Our talents, abilities belong to God. Our treasure belongs to God. Even our hopes and our dreams and our desires 
belong to God. Remember we talked about Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. Seek him first. Worship him with everything within, and, and he will give you the desires of your heart. We, we talked all about that last week, I think, or the week before. Okay, now listen, I understand that this can be somewhat of a difficult concept to wrap our brain around, but our very, our very lives belong to the Lord. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies, offer your bodies up as living sacrifices. Offer your bodies up as living sacrifices. This is another way of saying every part of who you are, inside and outside, belongs to the Lord. Offer it all up to the Lord. This is your reasonable act of worship to offer everything up to him. Holy, it says holy and pleasing as a reasonable act of worship. One of the greatest outcries, and I think you guys will agree, we hear it enough, one of the greatest outcries of this, especially the young generation of Christians, is to get back to the way the church was in second after uh, second chapter of Acts. You know, we just wanna be like the early church. We just want to, we want to be like them. We want to go to back to the purity and the simplicity of the gospel. You guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, we read about it and we hear it on blogs and, and people say it all the time. And, and, and that's great. Now let's look at that real quick. So Acts chapter two, remember I told you to turn there. Let's look at that. We're going to go down that road because it truly is. It's the heart cry of a generation. Acts chapter two, starting in verse 42. And don't check out just because you've read this a thousand times and because you're one of those that has this heart cry. Okay, uh, this is my heart crying. I don't want to hear it. You got to hear it. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, says that they devoted themselves, and this is the believers at that time, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Verse 43 says, everyone was filled with awe as the many wonders and signs performed, uh, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Now, how many of you love that? Oh, come on. Some of you are sitting here in need and you're like, I wish somebody would sell something and give it to me. <laughs> come on. This is the, this, even if you haven't thought about it, hearing it right now, you're like, I'll take some of that. Right? Listen to me. This is our heart. This is the heart of our church. This is why... We named our church Soma. Soma is the Greek word for body, the body of Christ. Everyone working together as one. No one without need. A church that bears one another's burdens. A church full of people who empty themselves out so that others can be full. Can you get that image? We empty ourselves out so that everyone can be full, right? We want these results, but we miss the part of the passage of scripture, the key ingredient to seeing any church become a second chapter of Acts church. And it's in verse 43. We passed over really quickly. But it says, everyone was filled with awe. Everyone was filled with awe. Now let's break down that word for a second. I won't spend too much time on here, but it's important. That word awe in the Greek, that original language, it's important sometimes to know that, is the word phobos. Phobos, it's where, like you guys may have heard phobia, it's where we get the word fear, okay? This is like the root word, phobos, which many different words relating to fear come from this word. It means fear, but it really means respect 
It means um, uh, reverence, okay? And so he's basically saying that people were in high respect and revering God. They were reverencing him. They were like, they were in awe of him. Like, wow, whoa. Everyone saw what God was doing. They were like, this is awesome. You know, awesome was a rad word before we knew it was rad. Rad's not a rad word anymore, though, is it? Okay, it is. Thank you. You're rad. Listen, everybody's looking around, seeing what's going on. This is amazing. They were in awe. The church was saying, I cannot believe what I'm seeing. I can't believe what is happening to even Gentiles. The Jewish people were blown away. They couldn't believe that people so quickly were turning to the God of all creation, Jehovah the God of, the, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were mesmerized by what was going on and it was changing people's hearts and it was changing their behavior and it was changing their habits. If you look over two chapters later in Acts chapter four, it says that the congregation of those who believed were of one heart, one soul. Not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own <laughs> because they understood it all belonged to God. Verse 34, a little bit later, says, For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales. Listen to me, verse 35, and you can circle this if you want. And laid them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now, if you've been tracking in this series, that resembles something. You know what it resembles? Bring your whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Again, you can go back and listen to those sermons, but this was a, this was a pointing to uh, the tithe. And the reason is, is because the principle of the tithe was still at play. I mean, it doesn't even make sense to say that doesn't, that's not relevant e- anymore. Even Jesus made a comment one time. He's talking to the Pharisees, and we're in Luke 11. He says, woe to you Pharisees. And you guys, we talked about the Pharisees last week. They only did stuff for people to see. Okay, their hearts were messed up. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. And what Jesus is saying is you are so careful to tithe, even off the tiniest income of your herb garden. You know, you got your, we got herbs out in the, you know, I'd be like Melissa going, okay, I'm picking, but now some of this is going to go to the Lord, you know, and bringing and putting in the, it's like even, but they were so meticulous because they were rule followers that they, he's saying, you guys even, and that's not a bad thing, but he's saying even the tiniest income of your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. They weren't really considering people. They were all about themselves. Listen to what Jesus said. You should tithe. Yes, of course, but do not neglect the more important things, which is people. So he didn't say do away with that. He said, no, this is still important. Just be sure you're caring for people too. Because the people in the early church were filled with awe, they were inspired, you guys, to give well beyond the tithe. They came to the storehouse to give the tithe, but it wasn't limited in their hearts to 10%. And it wasn't limited in their hearts because their hearts stood in awe of the Lord. You know, I've found that most people 
that say we are to follow our hearts and give as the Lord leads. You know what I've found? These are the same people who rarely empty themselves at all. Can I just say that? In my experience, I don't know, a bunch of years of ministry, a bunch of conversations, my experience is, is the same people that say we're, just, we're supposed to just give from our heart are the same ones that rarely give anything, not just money, I mean, of themselves at all. You know, they're, they're like that, they're like that funny looking plant and Dennis the Menace. Well, they, they bloom every, once in a blue moon. But God wants us to go for it. Not just once in a lifetime, not just once every blue moon. He wants us to bloom every day. He wants us to flourish every day, to burst open, to empty ourselves so that others will be full. Everyone tracking with me? But listen, you won't do that until you stand in awe of God. You will not give all your all to God. Let's look back at Matthew 25, verse 15. He said, to one... The master gave five talents. To another, he gave two talents. To another, he gave one talent, each according to his own ability. Now, remember I said that Jesus was a master of lessons within a lesson, okay? So in this one statement, you see that Jesus has entrusted the entirety of our lives, our our time, talents, and treasures to us, like everything. And I'm gonna show you, but in this one, I mean, verse 15, you can see everything. Everything And it starts with the word talent. Okay, now think about this. He's using, the word is, is talent here. <laughs> I think it's awesome. Only Jesus could have known that the ancient Greek word talanton, I know this is kind of geeky, but only Jesus could have known that that word would eventually be used as a word to describe the unique abilities that God gives people. Do you guys understand? What is what the ability, some of you play guitar, what is that called? A talent. (laughs) Some of you can dunk. That's a talent. That's a talent that I don't possess. You know, isn't that crazy? How genius is it in this parable that the word talent is used? Only Jesus would have known that that centuries later would be used to describe the unique abilities that he gives everybody. What about treasure? The talent was the largest unit of measurement for weight at that time, equal to about 75 pounds. So 75 pounds would have been a talent. As it relates to money, it was considered the largest unit of currency at that time. So Jesus is entrusting lots of valuables, lots of wealth to these guys, okay? It wasn't just like, here's five bucks. It would have been more like, here's 1.5 million bucks, at least to the one who was given five talents. Lots of money, okay? But then what about time? How do we see time in this? Well, see, most scholars believe that the talent in this parable would be the equivalent of 20 years of wages. Okay, one talent to equal 20 years of wages for the average worker, you understand? So think about this. Five talents would equal 100 years. Could it be that it's a picture of someone in their old age. Two talents would have been how many years? 40. So could that be a picture of someone middle-aged? Some of you that are 40s, in your 40s, you don't want to think of you being middle-aged, but you are. You're so middle-aged. You're not quite over the hill, 
but you're steadily approaching. And then think about one talent. One person was given one talent that's, that would be considered 20 years. And, and again, this is all conjecture, but, but hear what I'm saying here. 20 years. Could it be that that's talking about someone in their youth? To me, Jesus is talking not only about what he has given us, but the time spent stewarding it. Again, every aspect of our lives. By the way, he says each according to his own ability. You guys do know that everyone's different, right? You guys do know that everyone, you're not, there's not one person that is just like you in this room, right? All of you are different. God created all of us unique. We're all different. So you have to stop trying to be like other people. You have to stop trying to keep up with the Joneses. You have to stop trying to be something that you're not. Be, be who and what God, uh, God has called you to be based on what he's given you. According to each, each according to his own ability. And we don't know, listen to me, we don't know how long we have. We don't know how long we have to give God our all. Maybe it's 100 years. Some of you guys are going to be old, you know. Maybe you only have 40 years. Young people, you don't, know, you don't know that you're going to live to 20 years old. Now's the time. Now's the time to give God your all. I never thought I would live to be 20 years old. When I was your age, I thought, I'll never make it to 20 because of the things I was involved in, things I was doing. I never thought I would make it to 20. You don't know that you're going to make it to 20. You kids that are believers, now is the time to give God your all. Now is the time to store up treasures in heaven. You guys understand what I'm saying? Now's the time. So verse 15, it says that he went on his way and, and, you know, Jesus would go away. Of course, he would come back. Look at verse 16 and 18. Immediately, the one had, who had received the five talents went and traded, them, traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same way, the one who had received the two talents gave two more talents. But he who had received the one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Real quick, my, my translation says traded. They, they traded um, with the money. Your version might say invested. Those who, they invested that money. Um, the idea is that they put their money to work. You guys understand? They did something. Uh, they were proactive with their money. And because they were proactive, they were productive with their money. So they're proactive and they were productive with their money. And if you've been tracking with this series and you've been going to life groups, you know that we've been doing some very practical things. We've been focusing on the spiritual aspect of money matters in these weekends, but in our life groups, we've been doing some real practical stuff. We've been talking about budgeting and, and saving and all kinds of stuff. I think it's been good. How many of you benefited from that, you feel like? Yes, Tony. Come on, help me, people. Okay, otherwise we won't do it again. I'm just Helping everyone as best as we can become proactive with your money so that it will be, you'll be productive with your money. So these guys, they managed it in a way that, that proved fruitful. And remember, this is a parable about the kingdom of God. Okay, so the implication here is that they invested in kingdom activity. Therefore, the fruit that they produced, the, the return that they saw was kingdom fruit. Okay? Did you notice that the two guys, it said that the first two guys immediately began to invest? Look back at your Bible real quick. See that word immediately. Maybe yours says straight away. Maybe yours says quickly. 
Maybe it doesn't say anything at all. You need to check your translation. They immediately began to invest. Okay, listen to me. This points to a heart that is bent on building his house, God's house. Okay, we talked about that last week. Please go back and listen to it if you weren't here. But there, it points to their hearts being built on building God's house, his house. But the third guy, look down at it. It doesn't say immediately with him. It simply says that he went away. And then after some amount of time, he dug a hole and hid what the master gave him. Now, why would he do that? Why would he do that? It's like something wasn't right in his thinking. Like there was something that he was deliberating. You know what I mean? Like there was this reasoning going on in his head, in his mind. Look at verse 19. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with him. By the way, listen to me. God always settles his accounts. Okay, can I just say that? God always, even believers, believers will be held accountable for how we steward all that God gives us. Time, talents, treasures, anything. If you possess it, you will be held accountable for it. You understand that? But listen to me here. For those that are coasting along on this current um, universalist, love wins, everyone goes to heaven in the end, junk theology that's out there. It's becoming so prevalent even inside of the body of Christ. The fact is God will settle accounts. And if you have not surrendered your life to Christ on the day that your account is settled, you will not like the outcome. Please don't put off surrendering your entire life to the Lord. Ask him, put your trust in him, ask him to save you. Confess your sin. Let him change your life. I promise he will. I promise you. It's all over the word. Love one Love already won the day that God sent his son to die on the cross as forgiveness of our sins. Amen? By the way, I'm not dancing up here or doing any kind of karate stuff. There's this gnat that is about to drive me crazy. (laughs) Unless you thought I was going after my chi or something. Anyway. Yes, Lord. (laughs) Where are we? Verse 20, okay, the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents saying, master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of. Your version might say, You will be entrusted with much more. And then it says, Enter into the joy of your master. Can I just stop and say that that statement enter the joy of your master is the point of money matters this series that we would enter the joy of our master that we would be people who are planted in the house of the lord invest all that we are all that we have into the kingdom of god that we would seek first the kingdom of god and trust that everything else is going to be taken care of our life in our lives 
that, and, and planted in the house of the Lord, that when we do that, we can trust him that we will flourish inside of his courts. Enter <laughs> into the joy. Enter into my courts where you will find the fullness of joy. Isn't that what scripture tells us? In the presence of God comes fullness of joy. That's the point of the series. Anybody who thinks, man, he's just trying to get money from us. I don't need your money. God's got our budget covered. He would love for you to participate. But this is not what this is about. I would love to see a congregation thriving. Not just surviving, thriving, flourishing. Not that everything's going to be hunky-dory, peachy, keen. But there is a joy in your life. Flourishing doesn't mean that you get, you, you, you get money or you get material possessions or you get stuff whenever you give money. That's not what it means at all. It just means that when we choose to devote our time and our talents and certainly our treasure to the kingdom of God, we enter the joy of our master. Joy in every circumstance. The ability to have the, the eagle's view while we're soaring over the valley of the shadow of death. We're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. It's going to come at some point. But we can choose to be afraid and fear evil in the midst of it, or we can walk through with, with really an eagle's view of it. Yeah, I'm soaring all above, high above the circumstances here. That's what we want. Enter the joy of our masters, loving our lives even when our lives are not lovely, okay? We enter his courts where we experience his joy, and we hear him say, well done, my good and faithful, my trustworthy servant. The five and two talent guys were both considered trustworthy, right? Did you see that? And it wasn't because they doubled their money. Please don't, don't let that trip you up. They, do, they did double their money, but that's not why they were considered trustworthy. It was because of their faithfulness. And did you notice that both of those guys, different amounts of money, different amounts of, of receiving from the Lord, but they both received the exact same praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with the little. You will be entrusted with much. Enter the joy of your master. They both heard the same thing. God is more concerned with the quality of our investment than he is the quantity. You should probably write that down. God is more interested in the quality of our investment than he is the quantity. Everybody with me? Verse 25, I'm sorry, verse 24 and 25. It says, in the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scatter no seed. And I was afraid. And I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. And remember, we said that there seemed to be something that this guy was deliberating, something that he was reasoning in his head, in his heart. Well, we just learned what it was. You see that? Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you do not sow. Gathering where you scatter no seed. No seed and, and I was afraid. What was going on in his heart? He was afraid. Interesting, that word afraid is the word phobeo. It comes from the root word phobos. But it's a different use of the word. It literally means, translated in this context, to scare away. He was scared away. Let's, let's just get to the brass tacks of the series, you guys. 
we're not filled with phobos, with awe. What we tend to be fear, filled with is phobeo. We don't look upon our master with awe of who he is, what he's done, what he promises that he will do. We don't see him as holy. We see him as hard. You guys see that? We don't see him as, as holy, standing in awe of him. We see him as hard somehow. And so we're scared away from him. We're scared of what might happen if we completely devote our time and our talent and our treasures. What's gonna happen? Will he really do something amazing in my life? And we talked about this to some degree every week, but will he really? Will he really do something amazing in my life? Will he really provide all of my needs? Will he really take care of me? Fill in the blank, you guys. We all have our own fears and insecurities in our hearts based upon our own uniqueness. Fear is the opposite of faith. We say this all the time. I've heard my wife say this a thousand times. Fear keeps us from stepping out in faith. Fear keeps us from stepping out, doing something, going above the average, the normal. It was average to take what the master had given him and give him the exact same thing back. It was average. It wasn't a stepping out. There was no risk in that. There was no trust in that. Remember Jesus said, when I return, will I find any who are full of faith? Not from those who are full of phobeo. So scared that they run away from the courts of God rather than entering into the joy that's found there. Let me just say this. You can't tell me, this is gonna sound harsh, but, but listen, you can't tell me that you don't give 10% of your income because that principle no longer applies. We've learned that that's, that's, that ain't true. Just be honest. Something is scaring you away. There's something scaring you away. There's some part of God's character that you either don't understand or you have misjudged. The man said, I knew you to be a hard man, but the fact is he didn't know the master at all. And there's a consequence for not knowing the master, not understanding his character. That's what we are saying in our sermon in the sentence. Until you stand in awe of God, you will not give your all to God. Verse 26 says, but his master answered to him and said, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I would have at least got a return on my money. I would have gotten some interest. And listen, the master wasn't admitting that the man's accusation of his character was true. He wasn't saying, you're right, I'm a hard man. He wasn't saying that at all. In fact, if anything, he was putting a responsibility back on this man, back on this servant. The least you could have, should have done, based upon your impression of me, <laughs> was do something. Do something. But in fact, you didn't do anything. And listen, it says, therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who had 10 talents. <laughs> Man, Jesus is laying it down in this one. Like, wow. I wonder how many faithful people 
faithful people get their extra opportunities and their extra blessings from those who were unfaithful with the opportunities and blessings offered to them. Every time I see God bless me, I wonder whose blessing could this have been? Whose blessing should this have been? And it could have been one of my own, you know, I don't know. But like, I mean, looking at this, whose blessing that I'm experiencing, this opportunity that I'm experiencing right now, whose opportunity could this have been? Who was too scared to handle their assignment? Who did not stand in awe of God and give him their all? I wonder. I also know that every time God challenges me to step out in faith, I have to overcome fear and not let insecurities scare me away. Because God has something he intends to give me and it might be something in the physical realm. It might be possessions. It might be material things, but maybe it's something that he does in my heart. Maybe he has something in my spiritual life, something that will take me further with him and deeper in him. Listen to me. Here's what I can guarantee. Every act of faithfulness will be rewarded. And you want to know why? Because it's a promise attached to a principle. It's a promise attached to a principle. Verse 29, it says, for everyone who has, and let me, in context of our series, let me interpret it this way. Everyone who has, everyone who handles money matters biblically, more shall be given. And he will have abundance. In other words, he will flourish. But from the one who does not have, in other words, one who handles money matters worldly, in a worldly way, even what he does have will be taken away. Holy cow, does this sound familiar? It will be devoured. There's that principle yet again. In fact, I thought this week, I've been trying, I told you, I've been trying to find something that doesn't link back to the tithe. Is there anything I can talk about that You can't find it. It's all linked back to this principle. Verse 30, the last verse of this section says, throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And again, the overall context of this passage is in times where we will spend eternity. Will we be people that that put our trust in Jesus for salvation to experience eternal life with him but inside of this is an admonishment to be proactive to be productive even with our money listen to me every time we tithe God says well done my good and faithful servant every time we budget God says well done my good and faithful servant Every time we save, God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Every time we say no to something that we can't afford, God's like fist pumping, high-fiving the angels. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have shown yourself faithful in the small, in the little, and now I know that I can entrust you with more. Enter. Come on in. 
got something I want to give you. It's the fullness of joy. You mean to tell me that what I can receive from God by pleasing Him with godly, biblical, money matters principles can supersede the joy that I could have from that new toy? Yes. In case you were wondering. Listen, every time we help someone in need, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because we're seeking first His kingdom. We're offering Him our first and our best we're emptying ourselves so that others can be made full. But until you stand in awe of God, trust his character, trust his principle, you're not going to give God your all. The best way to bring awe of God, the awe of God into your life is to plant yourself. (laughs) Plant yourself in the house of the Lord. The place where his glory is found the house of the Lord. Plant yourself in the house of the Lord. You will find yourself in awe of God and giving him your all. And when that happens, you will begin to flourish in his courts. Here's how we at Soma Church believe that you can plant yourself in the house of the Lord, just practically the way we say it. And if you go to another church or you're just visiting from another city or church, which is probably the case, take this principle back to your church. We say it at Soma like this. Be here, live here, serve here, give here plant yourself in the house of the Lord. Be here on Saturday nights as much as you can. As much as you can. We get that you got soccer games. We get that mother-in-law is going to cook dinner and you'd rather not be there. But you got to go when mother-in-law is going to cook you dinner. Okay? It's okay. You get the pass on that one. Be here as much as you can. Live here. For us, that means get involved into a life group. This big old meeting, all you're going to get is amazing teaching. Was that out loud? So go to a life group where you can experience connecting and relationships and accountability and all that stuff. Be here, live here, serve here, do something. Okay, we get that, you know, that your unique talent is this, but we just need you to wipe some bottoms over here. Okay, serve. Plant yourself in that way. Serve, be here, live here, serve here, and then give here. Tithing, you know, offerings. We've been doing this youth offering. I don't know where the bucket went. But, you know, every week, an opportunity to help these kids get on their mission trip. They've been working hard. That's an opportunity above and beyond the tithe. Scripture calls that a free will offering. Man, when you have the chance, when you have the ability, do that. But certainly, be faithful to the tithe. Plant yourself in the house of the Lord. Plant yourself in the house of the Lord. And by the way, I I won't cover it right now, but those four principles, they're actually found in Acts 2, 42 through 47. Those four things. Be live, serve, give. They're found there. I challenge you to go back and see if you can find them. Okay? Let's stand. I want us to end tonight by just spending a little bit of time of worshiping before the Lord. And in this time of worship, maybe there's something that you need to commit in your heart. Maybe there's something he spoke to you about things externally. Maybe something about your financial life. Maybe something about your talent or your gift. But whatever it is, as we worship, I want to encourage you to use this time of worship as a way to respond to whatever it is that the Lord has been speaking to you. Not just for tonight, but even this entire series.